Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for the book of Obadiah with guest speaker Bob Lizer. Which is something we don't do enough in our group. Heavenly Father, we praise you for who you are. We thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I ask you to forgive me because I had been putting this, checking this off in my mind as a, a thing to do. When in reality, you showed me this morning, this is an opportunity again, Lord, to dig into your word, to get to know you better, to get to understand that you have plans for us to help us be better. With that thought in mind, Lord, let me just say thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, guys. I'm going to start out by saying, uh, as I was saying earlier, here at Calvary, we go through Scripture line by line. At the moment, we are in Galatians. Uh, we'll be finishing up Galatians tomorrow morning, hint, hint, 10, 15, just saying. A few weeks ago, Pastor John was in Galatians 3. And he hit us with a verse, verse 9, where it says, So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. That's the blessing. I got to thinking about it. You know, we're taking notes and so on, and it occurs to me, I've heard this before. We've all heard it. And it led me to the next, to, to where we'd heard it from. And that is in Genesis, verse 12. And I know you've all heard it. I'll bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you. And in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. He's talking to Abraham. We've all heard it. Blessings, cursing. In you will be blessed. We know one of the blessings that we, the church, the families of the earth, shall receive is our salvation, our justification through Jesus Christ. That's one of the blessings. But then me, being me, I'm thinking... What about the other side? <laughs> what about the curses? I will curse him who curses you. Then I was asked for one Sunday to do this, to deliver a message. What to do, what to do. We turn to the book of Obadiah. You'll have it. It's a little one. Got to use the contents. That's good. Contents is in there for a reason. As we get started, I want to encourage you all. In Acts 17.11, we are told to be Bereans. Bereans are described as receiving the word with all readiness and searching the scriptures daily to find out whether these things are so. I may say something wrong. I may say the right thing and say it badly. I may be thinking incorrectly or whatever. Be Bereans. What you see here, what you hear here, what you hear elsewhere, check it yourself. Check it against Scripture. So, to start out with, it would be helpful to know who this guy Obadiah is. The short answer is, hmm, I don't know. There are 13 Obadiahs referred to in the Bible in the Old Testament. David Guzik, who I'm in the going back and forth about friending on Facebook. But anyway, 
simply says, one of these 13 may be the Obadiah who wrote this book. Maybe. Uh, there's a Catholic website, ourfatherprayerone.org, and they tell us that Obadiah was a Canaanite. He was born in Shechem. His ministry was active around 590 B.C. And that's for you fact junkies. The most important thing is that we need to know that the name Obadiah can be translated at least three ways. Servant of God, worshiper of Yahweh, or servant of Yahweh. Either way, no matter how you like to interpret it, sounds good to me. For a little bit of context, we're going to have a history lesson, which I know just thrills you all to death. It's helpful to be reminded that the Edomites, who we're going to be talking about a lot, these are the descendants of Esau. We all know who that is, right? Okay, I had to look it up too. He was Abraham's grandson. He's the guy that traded his birthright to Jacob for lunch, a bowl of stew. He's the guy that tricked Isaac, his dad, into giving him a birthright. Or, I'm sorry, Jacob tricked their dad into giving him a birthright Again, away from Esau. Esau was the oldest son. So these descendants of Esau, these Edomites, they were pretty ticked. Even hundreds and hundreds of years later, they still held that grudge. We don't know anybody like that at all, do we? So over the years, the Edomites, they had become a, a people, a, a population, a nation. They weren't necessarily rich, but they weren't poor and weak either. They're just kind of middle of the road. So we're going to talk about this Old Testament historical prophetic book. I was also intrigued by the idea of a book, the, the entire book, that can be studied in one sitting has its appeal. And so that's why I settled on doing Obadiah to deliver my one message. And then I got into studying it, and guess what? There's meat here. There is real stuff for us to learn here. Next slide, Kent, please. So shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. I believe that us, this little group of men this morning, we are here for a reason. There is something God wants to say to us. So let's look at our passage. Finally, we get to open the book of Obadiah. Obadiah, verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have had a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us rise up against her for battle. We start out with a declaration that Obadiah, the prophet, he's had a vision. When we read, Thus says the Lord in Scripture, we know that what we read is a report of God's own words. This isn't hearsay. This isn't secondhand knowledge. This is exactly what the Lord has said. This divine revelation is about the country of Edom, these descendants of Esau. The word report, it can be translated as an announcement. 
David Guzik, we're going to hear a lot from David Guzik this morning. He describes it as a divine newsflash. This just in. God's organizing an uprising against Edom. So that's where we're starting out. Next, please, Ken. Verses 2 through 4. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. There's a God promise that doesn't make the calendar. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. In verse 2 we see, I will make. At the time of this writing, uh, this hasn't happened yet. This is a prophecy that has been fulfilled now in our time. So, the, the, this destruction of Edom happened between the time Obadiah was written and now. I will make you small, despised. And we're not talking about runaway inflation or high gas prices or hard time getting baby formula in the stores. Despised. I will make you despised. When's the last time you met an Edomite? When's the last time you read of an Edomite? Heard of an Edomite? They're not around. God was promising to weaken Edom as a nation and as a people. So small as to be erased. He goes on to speak of pride in verse 3. The rock city of Petra was an Edomite city, strong, carved out of the rock itself. You remember what they said about Titanic? It's unsinkable. I think Petra is like the Titanic of cities. They were proud. The Edomites were proud of the things they had as though they themselves had accomplished this stuff. Rather than boasting about what God had done for them. Guzik puts it this way. The Edomites didn't have all that much to be proud about. They were a small, relatively poor, and insignificant nation. Yet what they could be proud about, they were. They lived in an area of great natural fortifications and strength, so they boasted about the clefts in the rock around them. Can you imagine being proud of the rocks in your yard? What? Guzik goes on to tell us they were also proud of their natural defenses, like Petra. They boasted in their wisdom. The Edomites were known for their wisdom. They had a reputation. In Job, next slide please, Kent. We read, when Job's three friends heard of this adversity that had come upon him, each one of them from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, build that, and I'm not even going to read the rest because I can't pronounce it mostly. Eliphaz the Temanite. Teman is one of the regions of Edom. It was known for its wise people. Eliphaz was from Teman. The Edomites also boasted in their alliances. I think this is the first lesson we can get from this book. It's a warning for us. We can come to rely on our own accomplishments. There was a time when I could have been accused of the same thing. I've, look how far I've come. Look at the things I've done. Our pride tricks us into relying on our own skills, our own strengths, 
And it blinds us to just how much of our success is due to the work God's done on our behalf. Edom and us sometimes fail to recognize that the Lord's providence allows us to accomplish what we manage to get done. Back to in verse 4 of Obadiah, he makes it so clear that even I get it. You say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground as though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down. The higher you are, the further you have to fall. Guzik says about this passage, this verse, Pride is so ingrained in fallen nature that even if we don't have much to be proud about, we find something to exalt ourselves. So now God's going to judge the Edomites, and it's going to be complete. No half steps. Next, please, hand. Ah, there you are. <laughs> if thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you'll be cut off. Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out. How his hidden treasures shall be sought after. All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you. <laughs> I lost my place. The men at peace with you shall deceive and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. And no one's aware of it. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and understand from the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty man, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. You ever had your house robbed? When we get robbed, they leave something. What is God telling the Edomites is going to happen? They're going to be cut off. They're going to lose everything. Everything. Not only do they take your TV, they take the remote. And they take the TV stand. And they take the cord. And they take the cable. Or your router if you're streaming. If someone comes into your garden and starts stealing food, they're going to leave something. Not here. He's telling us that Edom will have nothing left. Nothing. In verse 6, now imagine <laughs> these robbers who are coming to take absolutely everything you have have come to your house specifically. Not just chosen a house at random. Not somebody that looks like they have a lot of stuff. They have picked you out. You shall be searched out. They pick you out to pillage. Edom is not being randomly decimate, decimated. My, the study notes in my study Bible put it this way. They are being systematically pillaged. There's a system to this. It's not accidental. It's not taking just something that's easy to get. Earlier, we'd spoke of Edom's pride and their alliances. In verse 7, we see the Lord allowing their allies to turn against them. You ever been betrayed? Stabbed in the back? Someone you trust lets you down? 
The sting of treachery, it's called. Someone you have trusted attacks you. These friends of theirs are going to, it says, force them, force you to the border. What does that mean, force you to the border? The New English translation says all your allies will force you from your homeland. The New Living Translation puts it this way, Kent. <laughs> your allies will turn against you. They will help to chase you from your land. They will promise you peace while plotting to deceive and destroy you. Your trusted friends will set traps for you, and you won't even know about it. Ouch. These are your friends? Back to that, our passage. Obadiah 1, 5 through 9. In verse 8, our attention is, a is returned to the wisdom of the Edomites. We spoke earlier of the reputation they had for their wisdom and how proud they were of that reputation. So what's the big deal about wisdom anyway? Now, I spent a lot of time asking myself, how hard is it to overcome hardship? We all have. We've been knocked down. We get back up. What if you've lost the wisdom of how to get back up? Where do you go if you don't know you're supposed to go someplace? I wonder if this isn't the worst of this. There is no wisdom. There's, how do you, you can't recover from that because you don't even know that a recovery is necessary. The Jeremiah slide there. Can... Against Edom, says the Lord of hosts, is a wisdom no more in Teman. Has counsel perished from the prudent? Has their wisdom vanished? The interesting part about this is Jeremiah was also a prophet. This was written 75 years before Obadiah wrote his words. They were still known as a wise people. Going back to our passage at verse 9. The mighty men, the soldiers. Shall be dismayed. The root of the word for what we see here is dismayed is prostrate. We know what prostrate is, right? We're supposed to be prostrate before the Lord. To bow down, to kneel. Your army is being made prostrate in front of your enemies. Um, these are, and these are not the good guys in this story, by the way. I'm actually starting to feel sorry for Edom. So what is it that happened that brought this on the Edomites to Esau's descendants? Another brief history lesson. In 586 B.C., now, Obadiah was written about 553. In 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar's army attacked Judah. They destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. They ransacked and pillaged the, the city. 
This attack took place roughly 35 years or so before Obadiah wrote his prophecy. The attack took place before I, Obadiah wrote. So there's our little history lesson. I don't know if the Bible you have has any headings in it. Mine does. And I had to, I, I laughed at the heading for this next section in my Bible. It says, Edom mistreated his brother. Well, who hasn't? We've all mistreated our brothers on occasion. Sounds pretty innocuous to me. But verse 10 will set the tone for us. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. Cut off. Nothing left. Done. In a lot of places in Scripture, cut off returns... Is, is interpreted as death. Just like their forefather Esau, Edom went after Israel. They went after the, the descendants of Jacob and followed in Esau's footsteps. In Genesis, we see Esau. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then... I will kill my brother, Jacob. How do you think God feels about us avowing to kill our brothers? In Psalms, we get a little hint to how God feels about it. Verse 16, Psalm 50, verse 16. But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth? If you're not a believer, you've got no right to quote Scripture. Don't use it as your authority. In verse 20, he says, You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. I know you're going to get tired of hearing from Dave Gusig this morning, but he's a lot smarter than I am. He puts it this way. Some sins become worse depending on who we sin against. It's a sin to treat someone else badly. It's worse to treat a brother or sister in Jesus badly. It's a sin to speak harshly to anyone. It's worse to speak harshly to your husband or wife. Obviously, Israel had treated Israel, Esau has, had treated Israel badly. But what kind of violence didn't Edom commit? In verse 11. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates... And cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. We see that when Judah's enemies attacked, Edom just hung out and watched. These were relatives. These were brothers through Isaac. More than that, they even acted like they were the invaders. They didn't invade, but they sure didn't do anything about it. Cast lots. Does it sound familiar? Then they crucified him. They divided his garments. Casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. I don't want to be on the wrong side of that. What we see here 
this one little book, this book that I was thinking is going to be a time filler, these 24 verses buried in the middle of the Old Testament. He's reaching from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the crucifixion, to Matthew, to the cross. Even here, God's word is pointing us to Jesus. Next slide, please, Ken. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. The people of Edom were actually enjoying what they were seeing happen to Judah. Chuck Smith puts it this way. This was the sin of Edom. It was rejoicing in the judgment of God against the nation of Israel. Now God, like a father, reserves the right to punish his own children. But don't let anybody else enter in or interfere. And this is exactly the situation. God was chastising his own, his own children, but Edom was there cheering him. And God said, I don't need a cheering section when I'm chastising my people. And the fact that they were rejoicing in the chastisement of God upon the nation is the very thing that God is using as his indictment against them. Notice that towards the end of the verse, nor should you have spoken proudly. Somehow these people managed to be proud of what was happening to their brothers. They were proud of Judah's distress. We spoke earlier of pride, the dangers and deception of What could the people of Edom possibly have found to be proud of here? The problems that Judah was having were not the result of anything Edom had done, yet somehow they managed to be proud. Have any of us ever kind of gotten a kick out of something bad happened to one of our brothers or sisters? He had it coming. This is a warning for us. Next, please, Ken. You should not have entered the, the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. By the end of verse 13, they're not just standing and watching anymore. They're helping themselves to some of the spoils of war, some of the stuff that was left in Jerusalem. And in verse 14, we see they have fallen so far as to actually be killing the, escape, the refugees who were escaping and turning in people who didn't, turning them into the evil government. So we're going to put all these verses together, 11 through 14, and look at them. And this is what struck me. In the day that you stood on the other side, the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. 
Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut those among them, to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. Looking at it as one passage, verse 11, they stood aside and watched. In verse 12, they began to celebrate and actually be proud of what was happening to their brothers. In verse 13, they're stealing the spoils of war. In verse 14, they are actually killing and betraying their brothers. They stood, then they gazed or stared, watched. They rejoiced. They went in. They laid hands on, they cut off, and then they delivered up. Things have gone from bad to worse for the Edomites. When I came across this, I realized this is the theme. This is what God was trying to show me. John Trapp puts it this way. Sin proceeds by degrees. Neither is any man at his worst at first. Casting Crowns has a song. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. David Guzik. Are we guilty of the same or worse when we see others in distress or calamity? We don't start out at our worst. It might start out with looking a little too long at the Abercrombie and Fitch poster in the mall. And then it's TikTok. And then it's porn. It's a slide. It's a process. We go from bad to worse. Next, please, Ken. At this point, the phrase, what goes around comes around, seems fitting. Trust me, it's not all bad news here. So. Verse 15, for the day of the Lord upon all nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return on your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow. And they shall be as though they've never been. Shall be as though they had never been. What kind of legacy have the Edomites left? When's the last time you met one? What kind of legacy do I want to leave? The Holy Mountain, Mount Zion, those are references to Jerusalem. There is scriptural reference. We're not going to go there. It's in Zechariah. There's an old-time commentator named Matthew Henry who really helped me with this verse 16. He says, As God's professing people who inhabit his holy mountain have drunk deeply of the cup of affliction, and their being of the holy mountain would not excuse them, so shall all the heathen drink in their turn of the same bitter cup. For if God bring evil on the city that is called by his name, Jerusalem, shall those be unpunished that never knew his name? Just because somebody isn't a believer doesn't mean they escape God's judgment. Now, what kind of people should the Edomites have been? The end of that first passage was uh, the day of the Lord. 
Where have we heard that before? Second Peter. Second Peter 3, verses 10 and 11. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it shall be burned up. Therefore, since all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? How do we compare ourselves to the Edomites? What kind of person shall I be? Moving into the last section, the heading in my Bible says, Israel's final triumph. Thanks, Kent. But on Mount Zion, but on Mount Zion, there shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. But, I love that this section begins with the word but. It's one of those but God moments. All the things that happened to God's people and the Edomites didn't lift a hand to help. And as a matter of fact, they eventually even participated. But God, he provides deliverance. Deliverance. Some translations call it escape. In the company of the Lord, there is sanctuary. <clears throat> there is holiness. Does anything else need to be said here? What was taken away from Jacob will be returned. Obadiah himself talks more about possessing their possessions now. What does it mean to possess your possessions? Next, please, Ken. Verses 18 through 20. The house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame, but the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall, continue, they shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. The south shall possess the mountains of Esau, and the lowlands shall possess Philistia. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim, the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captives of the host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the captives of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the south. How many of us have done government service? Familiar with the UCMJ, Uniform Code of Military Justice? What does the word shall mean? Is that a suggestion? It's mandatory. It will be. This is the last time we're going to hear from David Guzik, guys. Possessing these other lands can only happen when we first possess what's ours. God has given us a rich heritage of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. But how much do we actually possess? God wants his people to possess their possessions. Through the modern, though the modern borders of Israel do not encompass the ancient lands of Edom, we can trust that one day they will, either in this age or the age to come. So Esau is going to be stubble, burned up by the flames and fire of the houses of Joseph, Judea, burned up by Israel. Next, please, Ken. Verse 21. Then saviors shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. 
Notice saviors here is not capitalized. We have only one savior. I came across, oddly enough, an introduction to this book, to the book of Obadiah. And it said this. The Edomites' pride and presumed self-sufficiency became their downfall. Their fortress capital of Selah, which they considered impregnable, became their tomb. Their Arab neighbors turned on them, taking over their land and their livelihood. The Edomites were pushed into what had been southern Judah. In the second century BC, roughly 300 years after the writings of Obadiah, the resurgent Jewish kingdom under the Maccabees conquered the Edomites and forcibly converted them to Judaism. Between the time the book was written and now, Edom fell. And who did it fall to? The very people that they betrayed. I have a note in my study Bible. It puts it this way. Notice the saviors with capital S, or little s, wherever there it is, the saviors. The Judeans, this is a note from the New King James study. The Judeans, who had been taken into captivity, would come back as deliverers. Deliverers. And they would reign over the people of Edom. Is that the saviors or the little s? The last words. This is the last words of the book. The kingdom shall be the Lord's. These were Obadiah's last words against all human arrogance, pride, and rebellion. Edom had thought itself indestructible, but the Lord humbled that nation and restored the fallen Judah. Many people are tempted to consider themselves beyond the reach of God, but God will bring them low, just as he'll lift those who humble themselves before him. And one great day, he will establish his just rule over all. Thank you very much, guys. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to hear it. Lord, help us as we go out into the world to be doers of the word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.